0: You're listening to the Inbound Logistics Podcast with today's guest, Eric Jakubowski, Chief Commercial Officer for Anacostia Rail Holdings. Like many industries, rail shipping hit the brakes during the pandemic and has found itself in an uphill climb to catch up to its trucking counterparts. When it comes to things like finding rail surf sites or managing transloading operations, the task seems daunting and complex. But with continued safety initiatives, efficiency improvements, and green shipment options, can shippers afford to not give rail a second look? Eric Jakubowski of Anacostia Rail Holdings joins us to share some insights on how rail can get your shipments back on track. Joining me today on the Inbound Logistics Podcast is Eric Jakubowski, Chief Commercial Officer for Anacostia Rail Holdings. Eric, thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
1: Absolutely. Welcome the opportunity to talk.
0: It's great to have you, uh, Eric. If you could do us a favor and introduce yourself to our audience, give us a, a tour through your uh, background, a little bit of what you've done in the industry, and uh, what you're doing with Anacostia Rail Holdings today.
1: Sure. Well, I'm uh, I'm one of those grizzled veterans. I've been in the rail industry for 38 years now, uh, and I've been with Anacostia, which is a shortline holding company, 11 years. In fact, today's my anniversary date. So, <laughs> uh, I. I spent uh, the the early two-thirds of my career with uh, two class ones, Conrail. I started on the operating side of the railroad, which I think is an important uh, start for anybody who wants to be in this business, and uh, moved across a variety of functions, finance, real estate, government affairs, uh, wound up primarily on the M&A side and the strategy side. And when Conrail was dissolved uh, in, in an acquisition, I moved to Canadian National, and worked uh, across a variety of strategic and marketing functions. I ran the petrochemicals group. I uh, was heavily involved in what we now call in the industry precision scheduled railroading, which really got its start at CN and uh, stayed there through uh, an additional 12 years. So um, I've seen the rail industry change. I've seen the rail industry struggle, but most importantly, I think I've seen uh, a resilient industry, and I've got some insights that I'm prepared to share.
0: Excellent. Happy anniversary to you, then. <laughs> and speaking of the rail industry, uh, can you bring our listeners up to speed on the status of the North American freight uh, rail industry? Are, are service levels improving across the board? Where are we?
1: It, it's been slower than I think many people, many shippers in particular, would have liked. Uh, I happen to serve on an advisory board to our regulator, uh, our commercial regulator, which is the Surface Transportation Board, and they've watched this very carefully. Uh, The railroads have been in a difficult place because uh, they held out for probably the first year of the pandemic uh, in, in terms of maintaining workforce, but then they dramatically cut back, and it has been extremely difficult for them to uh, return employees, many of them retired early or left the industry. And I think right now uh, they are probably getting very close to where they need to be in terms of staffing, but it's been a very, very difficult past two years. Uh, Service levels have deteriorated, uh, primarily due to crew shortages uh, in particular geographic areas. And this has a cascade effect, because even those of us who are in the industry on the shortline side, who are partners and who did not cut back on workforce, we obviously rely on the large railroads to uh, to interchange business, to hand the business off to us so that we can you know conduct business in our in our local markets. So I believe we've recovered to the point where service metrics look like uh, they were three years ago but I will also be frank and say that's still not good enough. Uh, I expect more from an industry that has invested heavily in technology and capacity. Uh, I'd like to see the industry continue to improve on velocity and availability of capacity. And I am heartened to say that I think that the C-suites and most of the very large railroads are beginning to focus on just that issue, uh, the issue of capacity for their shippers. And I would trust that we will see uh, during this summer uh, a significant rebound in service levels to the point where uh, capacity will be available. Uh, It has been extremely tight in terms of car capacity and even mainline capacity. uh, And that has complicated our ability to grow uh, organically in terms of volumes.
0: All right. Then, so for shippers that are currently using trucks, uh, what are some of the primary reasons then for them to shift some or all of their freight to rail?
1: Well, I'd say that the, the rail industry is moving rapidly towards in integrating what we call transloading into the, the service category of, 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 of end to, you know, sort of seamless end-to-end end door service for customers. Uh, obviously, rail provides significant options in terms of geographic reach. Uh, you know, rail has been an important component for very large companies who care about Uh, ESG environmental factors and uh, I think as long as railroads continue to improve upon uh, the the focus of providing flexible options for customers it will become a real value to, to freight shippers to consider rail for a sizable percentage of the freight now I do think there's more work to be done on integrating both the accounting as well as the customer utilization of tools to, to track shipments, to settle accounts when you involve transloading, which is a last mile sort of truck delivery from a rail carrier uh, perspective. Uh, but I think we're going to see a lot of focus in that area. So if you're not using rail now, you should at least investigate You know what I think is a sizable uh, Uh, freight rate difference that might be available to you and be willing to understand that you know you may have to put in some extra effort to to work through the transload side of it but it's probably the largest frontier out there available for shippers to consider and for railroads to focus upon all right
0: let's touch on that extra effort a little bit then Uh, what should shippers then be prepared for when they start using rail uh how is dealing with railroads different from say dealing with the the motor carriers that they're used to
1: well, first of all, I think that there's a, there's an education gap. You know, many of us who are in this business have watched uh, the logistics side of the business uh, become very user-friendly, uh, very quick to be able to adapt to spot markets, and railroads, uh, by nature, are much more transaction-intensive. And so I think that if you're considering rail... You probably have to commit yourself to that education process. You know, find a couple of people who are not afraid to understand a different vocabulary, uh, different techniques, if you will. Railroads uh, traditionally are not user friendly relative to their peers in the on the trucking side. Uh, I would hope that the railroads are going to improve on their their transaction tools, uh, especially in the in the e space. Uh, but but the reality here is that know we're going to see change here and i I think that's important uh there's a significant investment not only in technology but i think also in customer service and this will dramatically change what i think has become a, a a gap over the last several decades a gap in users ability to easily interface with railroads and recognizing that you know being customer friendly uh, is a critical priority. I think has become the focus of the new CEOs. Uh, you know, this is an industry that has changed from uh, preferring operating people to commercial people as their CEOs uh, in this last generational change. And and I and I think we're starting to see some of that focus.
0: All right. Now, on the operational side of things, what are some reasonable expectations? Uh, if you start to use rail uh, in terms of visibility, flexibility, and, and reliability?
1: Well, I, I think that this is a, a good place for me to pitch short lines because, quite frankly, any shipper, what they care about is is what that interaction looks like uh, at their dock, whether it's at the origin or destination end. And, and short lines have a, a very specific focus on their local markets and their customers that's dramatically more resource-intensive than the Class 1 railroads can ever provide. Uh, So you need an ombudsman in many ways, and that's what the short lines have chosen to become, Uh, focused on flexibility, focused on reliability, and working very hard, I think, to improve the visibility gap. Uh, Railroads still have a long way to go, I think, in terms of of providing real-time information about where shipments are and when they are expected to be delivered, and let's be frank, that's what that's what a shipper should care about: is is you know, where's my where's my product? Uh, will it be on time? Do I need to consider a backup plan? Uh, that's all frontline management uh, set of concerns that that can be addressed if you've got a a, a very interactive partner. Uh, so I think that. You know, if, if I'm a shipper and I'm using rail, the very large shippers who use rail tend to use, uh, you know, a dedicated team who knows rail, who know who to call and how railroads can respond, whether they can recover if there's a service failure, that's important. Railroads are not necessarily as proactive as I think they can be and should be, and this is again where I think shortlines have dramatically changed the landscape because they've tried to be far more proactive in terms of information uh, sharing, and, and and obviously this I think eases eases the burden of using rail.
0: What about safety performance? Um, are there reasons for optimism uh, about further improvements in that space? Uh, and is is technology going to be a big factor in that?
1: Well, yeah, I think it's important that we talk about safety, especially in light of of the the, the headlines. East Palestine is a uh, a horrific uh, incident, uh, but the reality is no matter what comes out of some sense of re-regulation or oversight here, railroads are still traditionally significantly safest option for shippers who handle hazardous materials that are necessary for our economy uh, the railroads have always had a a uh, I, I i think a very very important role in focusing on safety and if you look at the statistics on either number of incidents per ton or the number of incidents per transactions railroads are still significantly safer than truck uh, and And that's important. That's important to our communities. I think that's important to shippers who know that they have to trust the railroads. Uh, where i think where I think the railroads have invested significantly is in their capital infrastructure. Uh, I said, I've been here for going on four decades now, and I can tell you that the railroads traditionally put a significant amount of their profits right back into the network that usually is in the form of, of of the right of way, the the track and the bridges, and it's probably in the best shape it's ever been, and definitely by far the best network in the world in terms of um, uh, you know structural integrity, and that goes a long way I think to uh, to to maintaining safety and and uh, you know allowing the railroads to operate efficiently. So we are going to continue to see I think that. Uh, More effort here. I think some of the oversight and some of the criticism is appropriate. You can always do more. Uh, On their own, the railroads have invested heavily in the last couple of years in new technology to evaluate the condition of the right of way, uh, to inspect equipment while it's under stress, while it's moving. And that will change the game significantly. I think you will see uh, a bit more oversight on the part of the Federal Railroad administration which oversees uh, safety I think that they will likely come out and say that perhaps uh, we can even do more with hot box detectors which you know we're identified as a, uh, a perhaps a a protection system that didn't kick in soon enough uh, but the reality here is that safety has always been, a critical priority of the rail industry. I think they have performed well. Uh, there are always going to be derailments. I know people don't want to hear that, but you you know you have large trains moving moving uh, at, at 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 fairly good speeds, uh, and you know there are always uh, you know situations where equipment will fail. Uh, fortunately, I think we've not had catastrophic incidents and. Whether whether that uh, you know that's going to continue or not, I think is directly attributable to safety culture and investment in safety technology. And I can assure you that I think the railroads do not like being in the headlines. The large railroads have focused and will continue to focus, and will probably up their game. Uh, that's my personal opinion.
0: Of course, yeah, good to know. Of course, uh, talk to me uh, more about short line and uh, regional railroads. What role? Are they playing in North American freight rail?
1: Well, this is an exciting space. As I said, I've, I've been in the industry for a while, you know, when I was a Class One person on the commercial side, I, I worked with creating the short line industry. Genesis is in the large railroads basically deciding that there were markets that were low density, or that had significant capital requirements that they didn't think in the short term justified, you know, their continued service. So many of them. Carved their their networks down to a, a, a much more strategic focus and created short lines, short lines, by definition. Uh, you know much shorter haul railroads, uh, they can either be owned or properties that are leased from the class one railroads, in fact, many short lines are actually owned by state governments that stepped in and tried to, uh, to protect access to some of these local markets, stepped in and protected the infrastructure, and then found an operator. What the shortline industry has become is, in fact, I think the growth engine of the industry. The short lines are far more entrepreneurial. They almost have to be to survive. Uh, they don't have the deep pockets of a class one railroad. Uh, they are built around a business model that needs organic revenue growth and that has forced them to become much more entrepreneurial. Uh, they they maintain larger than average sales forces to connect with their customers, their online customers, and I think that they've also responded to the needs of those customers in terms of flexibility. Uh, I think the additional change that we've seen, especially as, Precision scheduled railroading has come in place. Is that short lines have become the place in the market for customers who require some flexibilities in terms of service patterns or even equipment use uh, that the class ones uh, ha- ha- have decided they don't want to pursue. And and I think this is an, an important function, an important option for customers to consider uh, if you're looking to establish a new location, I would strongly consider that you investigate what that looks like uh, in your market. Uh, a short line will likely provide you that door-to-door service that I think is much more truck-like and they are likely to be you know, privately held or, or at least held by you know an entity that is fairly local to your market. And I think that makes a difference. Uh, you know, these are people who are going to be involved in your chamber of commerce and your local industrial development boards. So I think this has all been a very, very successful transition for a part of the marketplace. And they are leading the charge in terms of growth. Uh, short lines are a significant amount of the traffic now that is uh, generated for the class ones. Uh, I won't say that it's wholesale versus retail, that the, you know, the short lines are the retail market, but it's sure moving in that direction, uh, uh, you know, as the class ones are focused on, on uh, you know, their network and moving point to point between large yards and markets, but not necessarily local service. So short lines are a great success story. Uh, it could have been a very different situation if you you know, walk back to what I started this, uh, conversation about, you know, the, the, you know, low density and maybe a downward cycle, uh, in many places they've allowed traffic to recover. And I think that's, that's a statement about, um, you know, an approach to business that, that is well worth the class one's learning from the short lines about. Okay.
0: Uh, you, you mentioned growth in there. Uh, what can railroads, uh, do to, uh, attract uh, entrepreneurial startups as new customers then
1: well i'm going to come back to my point about education i you know i think that you know i talked about customers finding people who are willing to spend time It'd be a significant oversight if I didn't say it's it's a responsibility of the railroads to educate customers educate potential customers there's a whole world of new business opportunities where railroads uh have been far too reactive rather than invested in the business startups uh the, the industry segments as they as they as they change and become available Um, uh, for instance you know we we've all probably heard about crude by rail uh crude by rail uh you know what w- was relatively slow to get started on the railroads you know the railroads weren't sure how to handle it it became a bit of a success story because until you could build pipelines from the Bakken and some of these other uh, fossil fuel sources within our with, within our country, uh, the railroads were the logical choice to move the product. Uh, the railroads late in the game invested heavily, became an important source of, of uh, you know supply chain capacity. But then, obviously, as the pipelines came online, they lost that business, and the railroads I think walked away with their tail between their legs. I think that there's a smarter business approach here. If you're a little bit more invested early on, uh, you carve out the piece of business that makes sense. We're going to see that in things like renewable diesel that that almost has to move by rail. Uh, But I want to start with that education process because I think from the perspective of the railroads, the railroads have got to learn that they've got to have people, people to interact with entrepreneurs, people who have to interact with, with startup companies. Uh, they have to be patient. The railroads have got to understand that many of these companies uh, won't necessarily have the capital con- to consider rail. Rail is not a small volume play. Uh, you've got to have a siding. You've got to have a, a facility that's rail uh, capable, whether it's a warehouse or a crosstalk. You've got to have um, you know, a team and technology to support it. And you know, I think the the railroads have got to teach themselves to be patient with some of these smaller startups and support them, and maybe even help finance their connection to the rail industry. Um, I think, you know, the the value proposition door to door for rail for smart shippers is going to be there. The real question is, can both sides close the gap on both information and and maybe use of handheld technology to chase spot opportunities. And most of us in the you know commercial side of the business know that in order to chase spot opportunities, you've got to have relatively rapid pricing. You've got to be able to mobilize an option fairly quickly, or somebody else has beat you to the market. And rare ones have a long way to go there, but i'm 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 hopeful that they are. Uh, the focus on this as we go forward, it's its really, I think, fundamentally the only way they're going to organically grow.
0: All right. Speaking of going forward, then what does the future hold uh, for the rail industry in light of some of the trucking industry's progress in things like uh, autonomous trucks or, or alternative fuels or electricity?
1: Well, let's start with alternative fuels. I, I, I think you'll actually see railroads advance faster than the trucking industry in that world. Uh, you know, battery technology is very... Very, very likely to be used in local switching opportunities. By that I mean locomotives that you know are slow speed for shuttling cars in yards and then off to customers. Uh, it's it's almost uh, it's almost a natural match to that uh, where you can set up. Charging stations, and uh, and 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 quite frankly, you know, if you're operating in an urban environment where the advantages of that, from an environmentally conscious perspective, I think are quite dramatic. So I think you're going to see battery technology roll out within the next decade very rapidly. Um, uh, you know, once we can we once we can kind of sort of finalize, you know, reasonable costs for this, you'll see that transition uh, in, in those fleets. Over the road, you know, between cities, uh, you know, the 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 what we call the mainline railroads that, that haul the long trains, that's a little bit more complicated. I think you're seeing alternative fuel um, experimentation by a couple of big railroads, whether it's hydrogen, um, uh, and, and I think you're seeing some promising results. But I think that's going to take a little bit longer. But uh, you know, the issue the issue is one that I think the industry is very capable of investing in. Uh, I think they're looking forward to their opportunity to keep pace with innovation in the trucking side. Uh, obviously, you know, manpower is a large issue here. Uh, it's rather, I think, ironic that you know, politicians to some degree have jumped on the East Palestine situation to, to argue that we need more people. Uh, that particular train actually had three people in the cab. They couldn't have done anything differently. Uh, that's not an issue that should be confused, I think, with with rational efficiency uh, that you can uh, obtain by moving towards, uh, you know, uh, technology use in the cabs and PTC uh, positive train control is effectively a very very significant fail safe investment that the industry has made that i think will allow the railroads to operate uh, more efficiently uh, in terms of manpower and and i think keep you know keep the edge if you will on a comparative basis to what i think trucks are going to do
0: Okay, fair enough. Uh, a lot of fascinating information there, uh, Eric. Uh, where can we send the audience for more information if they want to dig a little bit deeper into uh, short lines and regional rail?
1: Well, I- I'm going to suggest you come straight to our website. You know, we actually just uh, uh, unleashed a new website that I'm quite proud of. Uh, you know, the advantage of coming to any single railroad site is that we're not shy about making everyone understand that we work in a network industry and that our partners um, are. are are just as important for you to connect with. So through our website, you can get to every class one railroad that we connect with and we connect with all seven of them uh, soon to be six. And uh, I think that um, you'll be fascinated to hear some of the success stories that we've had that I think might be applicable. Our our website is www.anacostia.com. A-N-A-C-O-S-T-I-A. Uh, We're a privately held company. Uh, We're a proud, established uh, company with a solid track record. Uh, We operate in very large cities, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, Houston. And I think you'll be fascinated to see what a small railroad uh, can actually do. And uh, look forward to having conversations with you if you pick up the phone after you visit our website.
0: Excellent. Sounds good. That link will be in the show notes. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time out to talk uh, and happy anniversary and continued good luck with Anacostia.
1: Thanks much, Jeffrey.
0: Inbound Logistics Magazine is the information leader in supply chain and logistics management. Start your free print and digital subscription today by visiting bit.ly slash getil. That's bit.ly slash get underscore I L and stay ahead of the 3PL game. The inbound logistics podcast is a production of inbound logistics magazine for the most in-depth information around logistics, transportation and supply chain practices, Get your free print and digital subscription at InboundLogistics.com slash subscribe. Connect with us via LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube for the most current developments in the industry. If you'd like to leave us some feedback or have a topic you'd like to see covered in a future episode, call our dialogue line at 888-878-3247 or leave us an email at podcast at InboundLogistics.com. I'm your host, Jeff Vita. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time here on the Inbound Logistics podcast.